My mama would say, you gotta fight for what is right. To her, I would say, I wanna give back the world some light. Mm-hmm. But it's an empty road. I feel so. Good evening, Patriots. And it is Saturday, the 24th, or I should say Sunday, excuse me, Sunday, the 24th of December in the year 2023. It is Christmas Eve, and I hope you're all having a very blessed Christmas Eve. Just relaxing, I hope you're having a good time with family or not, whatever that is. But anyway, it's a nice time to be here. Tonight we're going to read a story that I like to read every year. And this is just a, it's a very powerful story. And it's one of the, of the Patton's prayer, General George S. Patton's prayer. It really is a, a beautiful understanding of a, of a time when in this nation when we truly had a belief in prayer and the power of what prayer would bring. 
I think it's has this story probably has more meaning and more importance to it now than probably any other time I've read it in the past, only because of the time in which we live. We are in a very interesting moment in our history when we are watching a government that has completely turned its back on its people, that is opening its borders to having literally a replacement army and a replacement citizenry flow across the borders and take seat and be completely funded by us with the full intention of removing and destroying that which was the United States and turning it into something that will never again reflect anything close to what it was. The hatred for what the United States represented, has represented in the past, is beyond the pale. And what these people, and I don't speak of those that are coming in, but those that are orchestrating this, their willingness to destroy everything and their willingness to see innocence suffer is unbelievable. There's always a motive somewhere in here, and that motive is ultimately about them lining their pockets. So you have the element of those coming in, and then you have the, they're already making contracts, for example, to fly people out of here in the future. So you can see this game that they play. And it's constantly an upheaval and a churning of societies and using people as their as their pawns in a game of global disruption and, and destruction. Our country is unique in its form in so many different ways and unique because it truly was formed with the, with the point that the power of this country was given to us by our creator, God, and the government was always subordinate to us. And the minute that those concepts were forged and brought into life, it became a threat to the global orders of power. And a war was initially initiated, was immediately initiated upon America and the Americans for the principle of being defiant to the ruling elites. The ruling elites have never been at peace with an idea that people would have control over their destiny, led by their faith in God. Rather, they have always seen themselves as the gods and therefore would do all they can and do all they can to obstruct that power and make sure, making sure that they are the ones in which people will ultimately worship and guide, be guided by. That is the, the world now that has become more evident than ever. And then sadly, this, the, the idea of defiance has become more of a, a, a notion, of a dying notion, almost a, that in itself something that is being forgotten. The generations that are coming up are looking towards the state as its mother, its father, as its way of directing people to an end. It's looking at corporations as those that will protect, its, protect us from the evils of the world. And that can be demonstrated just in the COVID con that we now are into almost three years. We are into three full years on now. Which just to make note, the first early cases of COVID con begin around this point in time, three years ago. And so we are now in a very interesting place of facing a nation that is literally being brought into the brink of war. And, and it's being overwhelmed by an enemy that's flooding across its borders. We don't seemingly have any way to stop that which is coming at us. And we, we are looking at 
a government that will do anything and everything that it can to ensure the destruction of the United States. And really begs the question then of what then can be done. And ultimately, it's going to come down to some fundamental issues of prayer and our walk with God. So I want to read this story tonight. It's the the true story of the patent prayer. And it's by James H. O'Neill. And it was it is a story that told by a first hand account of the of the chaplain. And it is a very interesting insight into not only the leadership of our nation, but one of the great generals of our nation and how he saw his victories as inseparable from a nation's prayer. In fact, he saw prayer as more important than the conflict and war itself. A very different time than where we currently live. So let's begin. The True Story of the, of the Patent Prayer by James H. O'Neill. Many conflicting and some untrue stories have been printed about General George S. Patton and the Third Army Prayer. Some have had a tinge of blasphemy and disrespect for the deity. Even in War as I Knew, I'm sorry, even as War as I Knew It by General Patton, the footnote on the prayer by Colonel Paul D. Harkins, Patton's Deputy Chief of Staff, while containing the elements of a funny story about the general and his chaplain, is not the true account of the prayer incident or its sequence. As the chief chaplain of the Third Army throughout the five campaigns on the staff of General Patton, I should have some knowledge of the event because of the, dir- of the direction of General Patton because at the direction of General Patton, I composed the now world-famous prayer and wrote Training Letter Number 5, which constitutes an integral but untold part of the prayer story. These incidents narrated in sequence should serve to enhance the memory of the man himself and cause him to be enshrined by generations to come as one of the greatest of our soldiers, He had all the traits of military leadership, fortified by genuine trust in God, intense love of country, and high faith in the American soldier. He had no use for half measures. He wrote his line a few days before this death, his death. Anyone in any walk of life who is content with mediocrity is untrue to himself and to American tradition. He was true to the principles of his religion. Episcopalian, and was regular in church attendance and practices unless duty made his presence impossible. The incident of the now famous Patton Prayer commenced with a telephone call to the 3rd Army Chaplain on the morning of December 8, 1944, when the 3rd Army Headquarters were located in the Caserne Molifer in Nancy, France. Quote, This is General Patton. Do you have a good prayer for weather? We must do something about those rains if we are to win the war. The reply was, I know, there, I know where to look for such a prayer, but I would, that I would, re, I would locate 
and report within an hour. As I hung up the telephone receiver about 11 in the morning, I looked out at the steadily falling rains, immoderate, I would call it, the, the same rain that had plagued Patton's army throughout the Mosul and the Saar campaigns from September until now, December 8th. The few prayer books at hand contained no formal prayer on weather that might prove acceptable to the army commander. Keeping his immediate objective in mind, I typed an original and an improved copy on a 5 by 3 filing card. The prayer read, Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness to restrain these immoderate rains with which we shall have had, which, will, which we have had to contend. Grant us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken to us as soldiers who call upon thee that, armed with thy power, we advanced from victory to victory and crushed the opposition and wickedness of our enemies and established thy justice among men and nations. I pondered the question, what use would General Patton make of a prayer? Surely not for private devotion. If he intended it for circulation to chaplains or others, with Christmas not far removed, it might be proper to type the army commander's Christmas greeting on the reverse side. This would please the recipient, and anything that pleased the men I knew would please him. So he added, to each officer and soldier in the 3rd United States Army, I wish a Merry Christmas. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We march in our might to complete victory. May God's blessings rest upon each of you on this Christmas day. George S. Patton, Jr., Lieutenant General, commanding 3rd United States Army. This done... I donned my heavy trench coat, crossed the quadrangle of the old French military barracks, and reported to General Patton. He read the prayer copy, returned it to me with a very casual directive. Have 250,000 copies printed and see to it that every man in the 3rd Army gets one. The size of the order amazed me. This was certainly doing something about the weather in a big way. But I said nothing but the usual very well, sir. Recovering, I, I invited his attention to the reverse side containing the Christmas greeting with the name on the rank typed. He said, very good, with a smile of approval. If the general would sign the card, it would add a personal touch that I am sure the men would like, he added. I added. He took his pen, his place at the desk, signed the card, and returned it to me, then said, Chaplain, sit down for a moment. I want to talk to you about this business of prayer. He rubbed his face in his hands, was silent for a moment, then rose and walked over to the high window, stood there with the, his back toward me as he looked out on the falling rain. As usual, he was dressed stunningly, and his six-foot-two powerfully built physique made an unforgettable silhouette against the great window. The General Patton I saw there was the army commander to whom the welfare of the men under him was a matter of personal responsibility. Even in the heat of combat, 
he could take time out to direct new methods to prevent trench feet, to see to it that dry socks went forward daily with rations to troops on the line, to kneel in the mud administering morphine and caring for a wounded soldier until the ambulance came. What was coming now? Chaplain, how much praying is being done in the Third Army, was the question. I parried. Does the general mean by chaplains or by men? By everybody, he replied. To this I countered. I am afraid to admit it, but I do not believe that much praying is going on. When there is fighting, everyone prays. But now with the constant rain, when things are quiet, dangerously quiet, men sit and wait for things to happen. Prayer out here is difficult. Both chaplains and men are removed from the special buildings with a steeple. Prayer to most of them is a formal, ritualized affair involving special posture and liturgical settings. I do not believe that much praying is being done. The general left the window, again seated himself at the desk, leaned back in his swivel chair, toying with a long lead pencil between his index fingers. Chaplain, I am a, a strong believer in prayer. There are three ways that men get what they want, by planning, by working, and by praying. Any great military operation takes careful planning or thinking. Then you must have well-trained troops to carry it out. That's working. But between the plan and the operation, there is always an unknown. That unknown spells defeat or victory, success or failure. It is the reaction of the actors to the ordeal when it actually comes. Some people call that getting the, the breaks. I call it God. God has part in or margin in everything. That's where prayer comes in. Up to now, the Third Army, God has been very good to us. We have never retreated. We have suffered no defeats, no famine, no epidemics. This is because a lot of people back home are praying for us. We, are, we were lucky in Africa, in Sicily, and Italy, simply because people prayed. But we have to pray for ourselves too. A good soldier is not made merely by making him think or work. There is something in every soldier that goes deeper than the thinking or working. It's his guts. It is something that he has built in there. It is the world of truth and power that is higher than himself. Great living is not, out, is not all output of thought or work. A man has to have intake as well. I don't know what you call it, but I call it religion, prayer, or God. He talked about Gideon in the Bible, and the men should pray no matter where they were, in church or out of it. If they did not pray sooner or later, they would crack up. To all this, I commented agreement that one of the major training objectives of my office was to help soldiers recover and make their lives effective in the third realm, prayer. I would do no, it would do no harm to impress this training on chaplains. We had about 486 chaplains in the Third Army at the time, representing 32 denominations. One of the third, once the Third Army had become operational, my mode of contact with the chaplains had been chiefly through training letters issued from, the, from time to time to the chaplains in the four corps and 
the 22 to 26 divisions comprising the Third Army. Each treated a variety of subjects of corrective or training value to chaplain working chaplains working with troops in the field. General Patton continued, I wish you would put on, out a training letter on the subject of prayer to all the chaplains. Write about nothing else, just the importance of prayer. Let me see it before you send it. We've got to get, we've got to get not only the chaplains, but every man in the Third Army to pray. We must ask God to stop these reins. These reins are the margins that hold defeat or victory. If we all pray, it will be like that, what Dr. Carroll said, in parentheses, the allusions was, the allusion was to a press a quote some days previously when Dr. Alex Carroll, one of the foremost scientists, described prayer as one of the most powerful forms of energy man can generate. And Patton continued, it, would, it will be like plugging in, to a, in on a current whose source is in heaven. I believe that prayer completes the circuit. It is power. With that, the general arose from his chair, a sign that the interview has, has ended. I returned to my field desk, typed training letter number five, while the copy was hot, touching on some, of, uh, some or all of the general's revere, reverie on prayer, and after staff processing, presented it to General Patton on the next day. The general read it and without change, directed that to be circulated not only to the 486 chaplains, but to every organization commander down to and including the regimental level. 3,200 copies were distributed to every unit in the 3rd Army over my signature as 3rd Army chaplain. Strictly speaking, it was the Army commander's letter, not mine. Due to the fact that the order was came directly from General Patton, distribution was completed on December 11th and 12th in advance of the date, December 14, 1944. Titled Training Letter Number 5, the salutary chaplains of the Third Army, the letter cont continued, at this stage of the operations, I would call upon the chaplains and the men of the Third Army of the United States to focus their attention on the importance of prayer. Quote, Our glorious march from the Normandy beach across France to where we stand before and beyond the Siegfried Line with the wreckage of German army behind us should convince the most skeptical soldier that God has ridden with our banner. Pestilence and famine have not touched us. We have continued in unity of purpose. We had no quitters. Our leadership has been masterful. The Third Army has no roster of retreats, none of defeats. We have no memory of a lost battle to hand on to our children from the, from the great campaign. But we are not stopping at the Siegfried line. Tough days may be ahead for us before we eat our, na our nation's, our rations in the chancellery of the Deutschreich. As chaplains, it is our business to pray. We preach its importance. We urge its practice. But the time is now to intensify our faith in prayer, not alone with ourselves, but with every believing man, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, or Christian in the ranks of the Third United States Army. Those who pray do more for the world than those who fight. And if the world goes from bad to worse, it is because there are more battles than prayers. Hands lifted up, said Basut 
smash more battalions than hands that strike. Gideon of Bible fame was least in his father's house. He came from Israel's smallest tribe, but he was a mighty man of valor. His strength lay not in his military might, but in his recognition of God's proper claims upon his life. He reduced his army from 32,000 to 300 men, lest the people of Israel would think that their valor had saved them. We have no intention to reduce our vast striking force, but we must urge, instruct, and indoctrinate every fighting man to pray as well as fight. In Gideon's day and in our own, spiritually alert minorities carry the burdens and bring the victories. Urge all of your men to pray, not alone in church, but everywhere. Pray when driving, pray when fighting, pray alone, pray with others, pray by night and pray by day. Pray for the cessation of the immoderate rains, for good weather, for battle. Pray for defeat of our wicked enemy, whose banner is injustice and whose good is oppression. Pray for victory. Pray for our army and pray for peace. We must march together in all, all out for God. The soldier who cracks up does not need sympathy or comfort as much as he needs strength. We are not trying to make the best of these days. It is our job to make the most of them. Now it is not the time to follow God from afar off. The army needs the assurance and the faith that God is with us. With prayer, we cannot fail. Be assured that this message on prayer has the approval, encouragement, and enthusiastic support of the 3rd United States Army Commander. With every good wish to each of you for a very happy Christmas, my personal congratulations for your splendid and courageous work since landing on the beach. I am, et cetera, et cetera, signed the Third Army Commander. The timing of the prayer story is important. Let us rearrange the dates. The prayer conference with General Patton on 8 December, the 664th Engineer Topographical Company, at the order of Colonel David H. Tully, CE, assistant to the 3rd Army Engineer, working night and day, reproduced 250,000 copies of the prayer card. The Adjutant General, Colonel Robert S. Cummings, supervised the distribution of both the prayer cards and training letter number 5 to reach the troops by December 12th to 14th. The breakthrough was on December 16th in the 1st Army Zone when the Germans crept out of the Schnee Eiffel Forest in the midst of heavy rains, thick fogs, and swirling ground mist that muffled sound blotted out the sun and reduced visibility to a few yards. The few divisions on the Luxembourg frontier were surprised, brushed and brushed aside. They found it hard to fight an enemy they could neither see nor hear. For three days, it looked to, be, to the jubilant Nazis as if their desperate gamble would succeed. They had achieved complete surprise. The 6th Panzer Army, rejuvenated in secret after its debacle in France, seared through the Ardennes like a hot knife through butter. The 1st Army's 8th Corps was holding the, this area with three infantry divisions, one of them new and in the line only a few days, thinly disposed over an 88-mile front and with one armored division far to the rear in reserve. The 8th Corps had been in the sector for months. It was considered a semi-rest area and outside of the little patrolling 
was wholly in an active position. When the blow struck, the Eighth Corps fought with impressible, impress, imperishable heroism. The Germans were slowed down, but the Corps was too shattered to stop, stop them with the remnants. Meanwhile, to the north, the Fifth Panzer Army was slugging through another powerful prong along the vulnerable boundary between the Eighth and the Sixth Corps. Had the bad weather continued, there is no telling how far the Germans might have advanced. On the 19th of December, the Third Army turned from the east to the north to meet the attack. As General Patton rushed his divisions north from the Saar Valley to the relief of the beleaguered Bastogne, the prayer was answered. On December 20th, to the consternation of the Germans and the delight of the American forecasters, who were equally surprised at the turnabout in the rains and the fogs ceased. For the better part of a week came bright, clear skies and perfect flying weather. Our planes came by the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They knocked out hundreds of tanks, killed thousands of enemy troops in the Bastogne salient, and harried the enemy as he valiantly tried to bring up reinforcements. The 101st Airborne, with its 4th, 9th, and 10th Armored Divisions, which saved Bastogne and other, other divisions, which assisted so valiantly in driving the Germans home, will testify to the great support rendered by our air forces. General Patton prayed for fair weather. For battle, he got it. It was late in January of 1945 when I saw the Army commander again. This was in the city of Luxembourg. He stood directly in front of me and smiled. Well, Padre, our prayers worked. I knew they would. Then he cracked me on the side of the steel helmet with his riding crop. That was the way of saying, well done. Patriots, one of the most critical battles in the final part of World War II was openly won because of prayer. Had it not been for that, there would be undeniable there would have been mass losses, and who knows how far the Germans would have succeeded in moving. We live in a time when never, ever, more than ever, prayer is essential. We face an enemy that seems to be flowing in unrestrained. We struggle with what we're going to do. We, as a nation, we consternate. We twist our hands and we wonder what will happen. We turn to God and we say, God, what now? But all along, all we have to do is pray. Our prayers, our power, our prayers together move mountains. They are the force of forces. They are the thing that is of a greater force in war than war itself. And so it is important for us to never un cease to pr stop praying, never stop praying. Our prayers work, and in unison, our prayers work. And it isn't that our prayers have to be lockstep with one another. They don't have to be exactly the same as the other. But it's the heart of the prayers that go together to, to resonate within God. And God does hear our prayers. General Patton understood that. He never doubted that. And that faith of his is greater than most people have. He understood that there was no possible way this victory would be delivered without prayer. And that is why he was so adamant that everybody in the army pray. It wasn't enough that people back home were praying. He needed his army praying. He needed his soldiers praying. He needed the people on the front lines of the fight praying. 
He needed God in his army and God working with his army and standing with his army and walking with his army, not peripheral to it. That's where we need God in everything we do now because this war that we're in is around us. It's not a question of if it's coming. It's here. It's not a question of when. It's now. It's not a question of is it going to be a big event. That event has already happened and is happening. And it's not going to be a singular moment in time where suddenly everything changes. It's changing as we look. The people that are fighting this fight understand very clearly that it's a war of attrition. They count on the fact that if they continually push in the enemy and siphon down the energy of a nation, siphon down the will of a nation, wear it down, that people will stop praying. People will give up. People will simply think that there's only one way to fight this, and that's flesh to flesh. And the greatest weapon in this war will be taken away. The greatest weapon that we have is not the Second Amendment. The greatest weapon of this war is the prayers that we have to lean into a fight and to pray unceasingly to have this enemy routed and sent out. This enemy is not an enemy of just innocent people coming across the border. There are those. There are those families. There are those children that are coming, and we need to pray for them. We need to engage them. We need to bring them to Christ. We need to introduce them to the powers of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the things that they are going to be part of because most of these people, one way or another, are going to end up being citizens. But there's another body of people. They're the fighting age males. These fighting age males don't come here with goodness in their heart. They come here to rape, pillage, and kill. They come here to destroy us. They come here to take us and destroy us from the inside and take pleasure in it. They themselves represent an evil of evils. And this is where our prayers need to be focused, to rout them, to sever their power, and to send them back to wherever they came from, and probably send them directly to the lake of fire. These are people that we can pray to come to Jesus, but most likely we'll send them home in a body bag. Because these are the people, truly, that don't come here with God in their heart. They come here sent from the bowels of hell itself to come here to destroy a nation that was blessed to be that anointed land of God in which the people would steward that land and put government out before it as their wills, for their wills of the people, not government to be sub, to make people subordinate to it. And sadly, where we have arrived is a place where our government has elevated itself to such a level that it truly believes in its heart that it is better than us, it is greater for us, that its own purpose is to direct us, to guide us, to tell us what to do. Every tool that it employs now is to shape the way that we should behave the way they want us to, not by our free will of God, but by the directions in which they see the world going, in which we must become part and parcel of whether we want to or not. This is not a government of the people. This is despotic. This is a despotism. This is exactly what the first the Declaration of Independence spoke to, that when a government arrives at such a point as that, it is the will it is the right and it is the duty of the people to throw off such forms of government. And this is the hour in which we are. But you don't do that changing without God in your heart, without God under you, without God as a foundation for this nation. Because without God and return to God, we simply become the same as them. 
We have to come to a place now of restoring this nation truly as a nation of one nation under God, not nations under God. One nation, that means one people. That means first nations. That means last nations. That means black, white, Hispanic, Native American, all of these coming into one. One nation under God. The borders fall. The unity in the body of Christ rises. And it's there that the greatest power the world has ever seen awakens. This is the world in which we pray for. This isn't a world of praying for my little corner, my little county, my little community. The great fight in prayer is to unite this nation in the heart of Christ, to stand boldly against this enemy and to rout this enemy to such a decisive level that this enemy will never again rise. This is an enemy, again, that has come here to destroy, not not coming here to make peace. They don't come with peace and love in their heart. They come here with destruction, with the idea of taking that which they want because they don't want us to have it. They want them to have it for themselves. And this is all being engineered and orchestrated by a government which the American people willfully and dutifully pay taxes to. General Patton reminds us of the power of prayer, of a commander who led an army in the greatest, the great war and one of the greatest losses of human life in our history. But ultimately, we got through that because a general put prayer in his ranks, put prayer in his men's hearts and demanded it to get through and ultimately defeat the Nazis. Sadly, we were betrayed. We were betrayed darkly by our intelligence agencies, by our government, in the ways to ensure that the leadership of the Nazis ultimately came to the United States in forms we never imagined. And we've told that story many times. But now is the hour in which the nation has to unite and unite now in prayer in a way greater than we ever have. And on this eve of Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we celebrate the the awakening of a world to the Son of God, It is more important now than ever that we pray for a victory. We pray for a repentance of a nation. We pray that a nation comes to the feet of God and seeks to return to him through a repenting heart to awaken a nation to once again be led by him, not by man. And so, patriots, there is great wisdom in Patton's prayer to understand that prayer is warfare. It's a reflection of a time that we don't have anymore. We don't have generals this bold. We don't have generals this courageous to truly speak the truth to power. But it's a time that we must, again, revive. And we will revive that through our own prayers. So on this Christmas Eve, let us pray. Heavenly Father, merciful Father, We come to you tonight on the eve of Christmas and the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And we place ourselves before you humbly before the throne. And we begin our prayer tonight with that of repentance. Let this nation that has suffered so many ills and allowed so many ills to be suffered, let that heart of a repenting nation now awaken to come to you and ask for the forgiveness necessary for all the things that we've allowed to to occur all the consumptions we've made for ourselves at the expense of you, our relationship in you, and 
most devastatingly at the expense of the little ones. Father, we have a nation that has drifted far away from the principal values and moral foundation in which we were built. This is a nation that was built on great vision, a nation where truly it was the will of the people. It was a nation led by the will of the people with government subordinate to the people and the people subordinate to you. And over the years, we've seen you remove systematically from everything, from our government, from our schools, to our, from our legal systems, from our corporate boardrooms, and we've sat by and done nothing. We've watched the churches drift quietly away and to find more comfort in the offering plate than in the power of the Holy Spirit and the word in which they speak mightily in the name of Jesus. We've noticed, we don't see the powerful pulpits today that built this nation, but we see the pulpits today they want to comply too much with the government will. We are a people that are broken, a people that are walking in a desert, families that are shattered. The idea that somehow children are born into this world imperfect and somehow it's up to the parents to lead them into the surgery rooms, to have them modified and mutilated to make them right. It's a world where fear consumes the people and has consumed it too much to the point that a government speaks a, tr speaks a lie about a disease and people roll up their sleeves and without even asking and say, inject me with something I don't even know or care because I need my fears taken away. And instead of turning to you, we turn to pharmacia. Instead of turning to you, we turn to governments. Instead of turning to you, we beg our, for new laws and we give away our rights. Father, this is the heart now of a nation that needs repentance, a nation that must come to you on its knees, pray to you, and on this eve of the birth of Jesus and the celebration of the birth of Jesus to be reminded that the true sense of what we are, who we are today, was, was given to us by all that was born and ultimately sacrificed on the cross, your son. So, Father, we come to you with a repenting heart. And we pray for the repentance of this nation. And we pray that the other repenting hearts will come to you and ask for the same. Because it is not about the weakness of repentance. It's the glory of repentance to let you know truly are the nature of our heart and our willingness to put it all before you, to awaken a nation, to strengthen a nation, and to let you know that we are here before you to once again serve you and be obedient to you in all things. And so, Father, as we repent, we also pray into this moment of that which comes across our border, that which infects our schools, that which infects our government, that which infects our corporate boardrooms, that which has infected our laws. These are not your laws. These are laws of men designed specifically to repress. This is not a government of the people. This is a government of tyranny that's designed specifically to raise its own power at the expense of your children. This is not an education system. This is a, a system of conditioning and mental formation to steer people away from you, children away from you, to strip away their innocence and to corrupt their minds to last an eternity. It is to destroy a family to at the very root and the very core. This is not a, a, a country of free business, but a, a country designed by corporate hands to buy specific things, to be shaped, to buy and imply comply to ways in the wills that will ultimately drive the profits for those to benefit and line their pockets. This is the Pharisees. This is the Babylon. This is the system exactly what Christ spoke against and stood against, and yet it thrives here in mass. 
It thrives here because of the weakness of the hearts of men. It thrives here because of the weakness of the desire rather than worship. We seek to fill those voids with the materialism given to us and provided to us by the cheap goods at consumer places of outlets and the need to consume things rather than to worship and be fed by the glory of who you are. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us. And in this hour, let this nation now be shaken by a small band, the Gideons of this time, the small bands of remnant that come together to truly pray into this moment and say, this will be no more. We pray for a nation to return to God. We pray for a nation to now awaken to the heart of God. We pray for a nation to now pray together against this evil and to cast this evil out. We pray for a nation to stop the flow of people into this country. We pray for a nation to now unite in the body of Christ, to stand as one and say, no, we are one nation under God, and we will stake this, we will stand to, we will stand for this and take this no more. We pray for the souls that are on the border doing the right thing to prevent the influx of evil. We pray that they will be strengthened and raised up. We pray for the veterans now that are beginning to awaken in this hour to understand that it's time to stand and to lead the people into a greater and glorified fight. We pray for the mightiness of the prayer warriors to stand, the voices of the, of the sons of God to be heard, to stand mightily in this hour and to lift their hands and say no more, for we are the sons of the Most High. And this is the hour in which we awaken. And we pray for the awakening of the sons of God, the mightiness of that, as the unity of the body of Christ stands in this hour to speak and to praise and to raise up to you and call to you, God, and say, God, this is now the hour we need you. Stand with us as we return this nation to your feet and to underneath the throne. We pray for a return of this nation to the values in which it was built, the values that understood that a nation like this can only exist with men who are moral and had moral courage and a, men, and a nation that was rooted in the word and the book. We pray for a nation to once again to awaken to the value of the little ones, the value of children, the glory that was given to us for each birth, not cast it aside as if it's nothing or it's a choice of whether it should come or not. We pray for a nation to awaken to its moral responsibility to now lead a world, not just itself, not just its country borders, but to lead a world as literally the city on the hill that others will seek. And we pray for the unity of a nation to come together, to cast off its division and stand mightily in the gap and to speak to you, Lord, and say, Lord, we are here once again, listening to you, following you, humbled before you, repenting before you, and now ready to stand in the gap as the sons of God in this hour. So, Father, our prayer is to shake this nation. Our prayer is to the root of all things. Our prayer is to awaken the love of family. Our prayer is to awaken the passion and the love of you. Our prayer is to put you back upon the throne and to restore this nation to the mightiness and glory that it was intended as one nation under God. And so we say these things, Father. We declare these things, Father. And the authorities given to us with the passions and humbleness in our heart we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Patriots, this is the hour to pray. And this is the time to pray together, time to come together, time to be together in prayer. This is time now as a nation to step in and pray for the great things, to pray for victory, to pray for the, the understanding that with God, we will always win. 
But we, our hearts have to remain there constantly. And it's not to pray occasionally, but to pray unceasingly, to pray constantly, to pray when you drive, to pray when you shop, to pray when you're with family, to pray when you take a moment to walk in the park. It's to pray constantly. And to pray with that thought of God, to, to let God know that we're seeking victory, that we want victory, and we want victory through him. So on this Christmas Eve, take some time to pray. Be with your family and pray. Lift up God. Make God part of all things, all things, and make God first in your life. Have a very Merry Christmas. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless, good night, thank you, and out for now. Oh, I want to feel something, I just want to breathe again, dive into the deepest end, oh, I want to feel something. Get back in my body